The book of Acts, Acts, the uh, Acts of the Apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. Essentially, is the name. It should be the name of Acts, but we break it down because we're lazy and we just say Acts, actions that happened, that occurred uh, between the Gospels and the letters that were sent. Ultimately, the acts that happened to cause the church to plant its seeds and to grow beyond Judea. And uh, today, we are continuing our study in Acts. If you're visiting with us today, welcome. We're kind of jumping right into the middle of a story. It's kind of like a jumping right into the middle of a movie, and you don't know how it started. You're on the background and all that stuff, and it's like, I'm kind of lost, but it still seems kind of cool, right? So I'm going to give you a little bit of foundational pieces to where we are uh, and what kind of led us here these, with, with the scene of these two people. And hopefully it gives a little bit of more of uh, understanding and, and a sense of what's happening. Ultimately, scripture for us, you know, Acts is like is a history. Some um, recordings of things that happen, right? Whereas uh, if you go to uh, a few books afterward, you'll see some letters that were written from people to either churches or to a group of certain people or to an area of people. And the antenna is written as a letter. But this was written by a man named Luke, as you remember, would be one of the apostles, right? Um, And Luke kind of experienced this, the majority of this. So he's writing uh, an account of things that happen. Now, it's important to know that this isn't everything that happened, uh, but it is like the highlight reel of what happens in the scene of Jesus's death and ascension into heaven and when Jesus ascends into heaven what happens afterward right is it just over and everything's hunky-dory no a lot of things have to happen a lot of men are persecuted right and uh, they go and they do these amazing things that we've been talking about we're going to talk about today through the power of the Holy Spirit God leads common man like you and I broken sinful men and women to do amazing things with one purpose, and that is to share the gospel. One purpose is to spread the news of Jesus. All these things happen ultimately to grow and explode Christianity. And what we're looking at today is one of those things. At first, it just seems like a pretty cool story of coincidence. But if what we look at today uh, doesn't happen, we're not here. If what we look at today doesn't happen, us Gentiles, a fancy word Gentiles is non-Jewish people, right? We have no chance, essentially, of making it. Even though that's not God's intent, but we will be separated from worshiping and loving God with all believers. So there's clarity that is made here that everyone always is loved by God, welcomed by God into the kingdom of God. And Jesus didn't just die for the Jews. Jesus didn't just die for a select few few people. Jesus died for everyone. For the good people, according to our culture, and for the most broken people, God died. There is no segregation for the love of God. No segregation whatsoever. So today I'm going to begin by reading um, an article to you 
that kind of lays uh, some frustration in my heart. There's very few things that really get me going, but when a man or a woman uses their faith or the faith of others for self-gain, for self-growth, and uh, no, for financial purposes, selfishness, that frustrates me. And I came across this article in BBC News that's titled, U.S. Preacher Asks Followers to Help Him Buy a Fourth Private Jet. I want to read this article to you, and if you feel enticed to buy me a private jet, do whatever you want to do, I don't care. No, but listen to this. It's frustrating. It says this, a U.S. televangelist has asked his followers to help fund his fourth private jet because Jesus, quote, unquote, wouldn't still be riding a donkey. And I would, question, I would argue that. It says this, Jesse Duplantis said God had told him to buy a Falcon 7X for $54 million. He added he was hesitant about the purchase at first, but God had told him, I didn't ask you to pay for it, I asked you to believe it. Although preachers owning private jets is not unusual, which I think is very unusual, um, although preachers owning private jets is not unusual, this particular appeal has caused controversy. And then the article said, Twitter users responded to the request with disbelief, with many quoting Bible verses warning against greed and false prophets or suggesting that the money could be better used to help the needy. In reading this, I was frustrated. A little sense of me would be like, I wonder what I could get if I was praying to the church and telling them to pray for me like a private jet or something like that. But I cut that off real quick because the flesh always likes to speak. I really didn't think that. Don't fire me yet. But a lot of people do. These false prophets, these false um, men and women that stand before others to be treated like they are above one another. There's nothing more frustrating than a pastor, a believer, anybody in ministry, any, anyone at all, any Christian, to act or to place themselves at a stance higher than anyone else. In fact, that is the opposite of what we're supposed to do. As you would recall so many times in Scripture, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. We should be the ones that put ourselves below others to lift others up, not above others so that we may be lifted up. And in this scene, we're going to see something that speaks to that a bit. Because Peter gets an opportunity that he could have totally responded differently to. So today I'm going to read this scripture. And we're actually going to start all the way in the beginning of chapter 10. And uh, these two men, Cornelius is one man. Uh, and he is a Roman, or a, 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 an officer in the Italian, Italian regiment. Ultimately, a section of the Roman army is living in this area, sir, uh, overseeing about a hundred soldiers. He has this clout, he has this prestige from everyone, and he could essentially um, get what he wants anytime he wanted it in his area, his community he lived in. And he lived in Caesarea, which is a city that's like on the, um, the bay. A, a, a port where a lot of people travel through and it's a big happening city. So he's got a lot of opportunity to take advantage of being a uh, captain of 100 men and women. 
Cornelius we get presented with. Let me read this, what happens here. But Cornelius is not a selfish man. In fact, he's a believer. Here we go. Chapter 10, verse 1. If you want to read along with me, John will have the words on the screen here for us. It says this, There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, fancy word for captain or commander, of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and a feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jews and Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision of an angel who came in and said to him, Cornelius, and staring at him with awe, he said, What is it, Lord? The angel told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him at God, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. In my, just in a translation of this, Cornelius, a man, a Roman captain, could have uh, been a uh, very wealthy man and a very selfish man. Instead, he is a believer, a devout, praying man. He's a man that loves God, even though he's been trained in all things Greek gods, all the gods, you know, multi, uh, multiple gods that uh, they would have been taught and uh, he would have been experienced, exposed to. He didn't believe that. Instead, he was a God-loving, God-fearing man. He was prayed up. In fact, he was so ready. He had such a good relationship that when uh, an angel stood before him and said, Cornelius, he didn't say, oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. I got to get out of here, right? I'm seeing stuff. Instead, he said, what is it, Lord? He was ready and prepared and essentially on the edge of his seat to, to respond for when God presented an opportunity to him. That says a lot about the posture of this man. It says a lot about him, okay? So Cornelius, and we've talked a little bit about that last week, he responded, he said, uh, as soon as God told him, or an angel told him through God, to go and get Peter living and staying right now with a man named Simon, who is a tanner, to go get them, he, he immediately responded and sent some men to go get him. He sent men after him. Okay, there's the scene of Cornelius. Let's look at the scene in, of now of Peter, who is Cornelius is sending men after now. Let's see what Peter's doing. It's like a movie scene. Here's this happening. And now let's go over and let's look at Peter. Peter's vision, starting in verse 9, says this. The next day as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof at about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down that was being uh, lowered by its four corners down to the earth. And in the sheet were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Immediately, Peter said, No, Lord, for I've never eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, What God has made clean, do not call impure. And this happened three times. And suddenly, 
the object was taken up into heaven. So in this scene, now that the centurion, uh, Cornelius, had sent these men after him, Peter was up on the roof praying. It was noontime, it was lunchtime, he was hungry, right? He was waiting on his food to get prepared, and he falls, he, he's praying, and while he's praying, he gets into this deep, almost asleep, but not there yet, uh, trance, and this vision. We're not sure where this, or this, this, this vision happens. Uh, we're not sure exactly where this voice come from, but the voice says to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. He sees this blanket coming down full of all animals, all kinds of different animals. And the, he is told to get up, kill and eat. And in this, we don't, we don't fully, it doesn't register with us what the big deal is, okay? But then, if you see all these unclean animals whom you've been taught from day one that you stay away from, you've been taught from day one that you do not kill, you do not be around a, uh, a, a, the corpse of any of these animals, and you don't even kill and eat an animal that's been around one of those animals because that is unclean. And you are better than that, right? You Jew, you are better than that, and you stay away from all that. Well, when he hears that voice of God... Who, if you know Peter, I love Peter, but Peter likes to always question God about being God, like he knows more than God. But Peter always likes to question God, right? So Peter questions God, like, he doesn't even just question, he denies God. He says, no, no, I'm not doing that. That is unclean, that is not anything that I've ever been trained to do, that is not in tradition uh, of what we do, and I will be unclean. And I, will, I refuse to be unclean. He refused God and told God that God's wrong. And ultimately, God tells him, anything I tell you is clean has now been made clean. It's all clean now. Peter essentially denied him three times, which is funny because that's what Peter does best. Right? Um, at any rate, Peter denied, denied uh, Jesus three times in a previous scene that we're aware of as well. And suddenly the object is taken up into heaven and Peter is still struggling with what he just saw. That brings us to today, where we are reading today in Acts chapter uh, 10, verse 17. Let's read through this real quick. While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the whole vision might have mean, might, might mean. While Peter, Peter was essentially, uh, his mind was blown the world just happened, right? This isn't anything I've ever been trained or taught, and my mind is essentially blown at this time. He is deeply perplexed about the vision, what, what it means. What does all this mean? What's God trying to say to me? Right away, in this scene, right away, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking still about the vision, the Spirit told him, okay, so now the Spirit, now God's talking to him, and he's, he's ensured that this was God that he had speaking to him. The Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. So, when Peter heard the Spirit, God speaking to him, he got up and he went. And he did that. He went down to the men and he said this. He said, here I am, the one you are looking for. 
What's the reason you're here? And then they said this. Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and a God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house to hear a message from you. So Peter, first of all, must have been shocked. He opens his door as the, whenever the vision, whenever the spirit told Peter to go downstairs and open the door because there's people looking for you, he must have been blown away when he opened the door and he saw two servants and a soldier. Upon seeing this, he knows immediately that these aren't Jewish men. How dare any non-Jewish men come to my house and be at the front doorstep? These unclean people, right? There was this clear division. And so he knew immediately and he would have wondered why in the world God would have told him to go down and talk to these men. The idea at this time, and like I said, it's hard for us to register this because we don't fully appreciate it, but the idea of a Gentile being used by God in any way is totally, totally out of, out of, uh, out of character. That's what? God doesn't use dirty, unclean lesser people that doesn't happen right and that's the way they saw them but God is changing Peter God is changing his mind and evolving who he is and his understanding of who God is and this is important to see this is important to see so Peter what does Peter do any Jewish man would have at this time said get away you are not welcome here you are unclean Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. Peter invited them in and entertained them, fed them, welcomed them, embraced them as normal people. This scene alone is a complete game changer for Christianity. It's a game changer because Jews were the only ones. They were the chosen folk and there was this clear division. One of the most culturally evident division was the food that they ate, the, the animals that they kept, and the animals they raised and kept in, uh, uh, to slaughter. Uh, there was this clear division there. But another clear division that is there is that they are not welcome to be around one another. And if you, if you um, communicate and associate with an unclean, you become rubbed off on. And you have to go through this ritualistic process of becoming clean again. Uh, so there was almost this sense of ooh and yuck, but also like, oh my gosh, get this thing away from me because I don't want to be unclean. That's how awful it was. Imagine being a Gentile then and not being welcome, welcomed as God's people. So Peter, being this upright man who is so looked at by all Christians... Right, looked up to, God chose Peter because God knew it had to be someone like Peter. Someone that is uh, an amazing apostle, the great apostle Peter. All the other Jewish believers would fall in line essentially because Peter can talk, he can speak, and he can preach with the best of them. And God would use Peter to do that. So in verse 23, continuing, the next day he got up and he set out with them and some of them or some of the brothers from Joppa went with them. Um, for some of you that have some familiarity with with Old Testament stories, you might remember this, the, the location of Joppa, right? The city of Joppa. Joppa was mentioned in Old Testament in the story of Jonah, 
Remember Jonah and the whale, that story? In the book of Jonah, let me, let me read the first three verses to you. I didn't put, they're not on the screen, but I'm going to read them to you. It said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. It said this, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa. Same city we're talking about here. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And uh, he paid the fare and he went down in it to go with him uh, to Tarshish to get away from the Lord's presence. Essentially, Jonah got this story. Jonah, or Jonah got this message from God, just like Cornelius is giving a message to Peter. Well, uh, Jonah's getting the same message and Joppa's in the middle of this scene. But Jonah responds differently. Jonah flees and gets away. He says, I cannot do this. This is not for me, right? I'm not worthy, I'm not capable, and I'm scared to death to follow the, uh, the directions of God. But Peter is a little different. Peter responds differently to, this, to a call, and Joppa's right in the middle of it. Jonah ran from God's call, but Peter was willing to reexamine everything he ever thought. Peter was willing to change his traditions to change his prejudices, right? To change his prejudices in light of God's word. God gives direction and Peter changed. So we could ask the question, are we a Jonah or are we a Peter? When God gives us conviction in our heart to do something, when there is direction in our heart to change, to, to turn over a new leaf in our life, to draw closer to him, to be willing to become an obedient believer in Jesus Christ, are we going to be like Jonah and run away and do our own thing? Or are we going to be like Peter and be willing to change everything we've ever known? Because that is what salvation is. That is the promise of being a follower of Jesus Christ, that the old is gone and the new has come. Peter embraced that. The following day, verse 24, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So Cornelius, as soon as he was praying, it happened at the right time. When Peter entered, right, as Peter traveled with them, Cornelius met him. Now look what happens here. And this story of the pastor wanting the private jet, this floods my mind. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. Cornelius, a man that has all this clout that is looked at, uh, that is a centurion, right? He fell at the feet of Peter. Now, Peter could have responded and taken all of that glory and that worship from Cornelius, because once Cornelius did that, his whole household and everyone that knew Cornelius would have fell in line, and he would have had hundreds and thousands of people worshiping him. Peter would have become immediately almost godlike. He could have taken that opportunity to be worshiped and to, to be selfish in that scene. But Peter didn't respond that way. Peter's response to this worship from Cornelius is typical Peter. He says, hold up, hold up, stand up, get up off your feet, get off your knees. Because I am also a man. I am just a normal man. Just like you. He takes himself from this Jew who is far better than any Gentile would ever believe they would be, at least in that culture. 
and he brings himself at their level. And that is huge in all of the, the advancement of the gospel. That is huge in this scene. Peter makes himself equal to them. Peter refused, and I love this, Peter refused to allow Cornelius to treat him like a god. But also, Peter refused to allow himself to treat Cornelius like a dog. It could have happened both ways. Peter embraced a lesser than person, according to the culture of the time. Peter loved anyone, as God would have him to do. And so while talking with him, he went in. Let me say this again. While talking with him, Peter and, and Cornelius is talking, he went in. I think those three words, he went in, the most significant, important passage of this section. That Peter would go in the house of a Gentile, something that Jewish customs and traditions strictly prohibited, Peter would go into that house. Speaks volumes about his willingness and his sacrifice, ultimately, of uh, tradition. So he went in and he found this large gathering of people. Everyone there, his whole household, relatives, everyone's there because they knew this Peter's coming and they're on the edge of their seats to hear about what Peter has to say. And Peter said to them, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man. Now this is what he's saying. He's telling them essentially what's, what the struggle is with Jews and Gentiles. Here's what he says. Peter said to him, you know that it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate to associate with or to even visit a foreigner or a Gentile. It's forbidden. I can't do what I'm doing right now. Okay, he's speaking the obvious. And, I'm, and he's, he's saying, I'm better than you. It's forbidden. I can't be around you, scum. How dare this happen right now? And it didn't end there. But, he says, and this is so important, but... God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. God has shown him through this vision of this falling sheet full of these animals, right? That it wasn't initially just go eat anything now if you want to. The vision was a, a metaphor for saying there is, for what I make clean is now clean. There is no division amongst Jews and Gentiles anymore. God speaks that to Peter, and Peter takes that and shares that with them. He says, I, I, that's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So now, this is why I'm here. We're on the same level. Now tell me what you got to say is now what Peter's telling Cornelius. Now why, why did you send for me? What's your purpose of having me come? It's not when Peter goes and he makes a decision, it's not like hopping in your car and driving down to Dairy Queen, sitting and talking to somebody for five minutes and going on back home. If you're going to travel somewhere, and this is many miles away, it's a long hike through hills, right, and valleys, and it's, 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 it's a several, several day trek that he made. So he made this commitment to go and to walk with these men. And Cornelius responded to this request. Here's what Cornelius says. Four days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. And just then a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who's also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. 
So immediately I sent for you, and it was good of you to come. So now we are all in the, same, in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius says, here's what's happened. Angel told me, go get you. You're now here. We knew you were coming. We're so excited because we're Gentiles. We're unworthy and always been unworthy. And now a Jew is coming and I didn't expect you to come, but I can't believe you're here. And God is amazing, but I don't know much about God. Will you tell us all about it? And he brought his whole family. He brought all his, all of his household um, and, and all those, essentially, probably the majority of his soldiers and the higher up, all there to hear about this Jesus. Imagine if you're Peter. Peter has been trained for this. He, his whole life is set up to talk about Jesus. This is what he's all about. I didn't think he probably didn't expect that, but... Here they are. Peter is chomping at the bit to tell about Jesus, and Cornelius sends for Peter, and these men and women are at the edge of their seat to hear about who Jesus is. Have you ever had anyone ask you about Jesus? Anyone ever ask you about this Christianity thing? Right? Why is it that you're, why are you a Christian, right? What's so good about this? I don't know about you, but I, I absolutely love that opportunity. It's intimidating because you don't want to screw up an opportunity like that, right? Because they are now willing to hear and listen when, the, when you're being asked, by, uh, asked about God. But that is an opportunity that Peter was ready to embrace. Now, for me, if someone asks me that, I could share all kinds of different reasons why I believe and I I am for sure that God is real. These rational beliefs I can share with you, these philosophical uh, understandings that are there, I can share with you why I believe and I know in my heart of hearts that God is real. But most importantly, the things that I could share are my experiences, what I've seen God do in the lives of other and other people, how I've seen God change the selfish person that lives all about me, everything about me, what can I do for me next, and a sudden change in their life that is now no longer the person they were before, and they're living for others. That's God. That's not, not as the skeptic may say, a coincidence, and they've turned over a new leaf in their life, and good for them. No, I know, and I'm confident that God has moved in their life, and they've changed for the better because of God. Right. I've seen um, men and women that are broken, that have denied Christ their entire lives, that have given their lives to Christ. And they are totally different people, not just the things that they do, but you can just watch them, the way they the posture they hold, the way they live their lives, the things they say, the things they do. It's a God thing. When God changes someone, that's the best evidence ever. (laughs) for my rationale and my, uh, my evidence of saying God is real. And there's so much out there that you can say, but Peter had an opportunity to talk about God, and Peter did. So today is, uh, Alyssa, you want to come up? We're going to sing a closing song, and then we're going to do our, uh, we're going to have communion together and uh, receive an offering. Today I want to, I want you to know that if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, there is nothing that I can say or do 
um, to convince you personally, to make you decide in your heart, okay, I guess you might be right. It's not a me convincing you. It's a decision that you make and you allow Christ to move in your heart because here's the reality of it. The reality is this. The gospel, in a sense, broken down is this, is that we are broken. We, we deserve no, uh, no time at all in the presence of God as a sinful man and woman. And we stood no chance. And God loved us too much to leave us where we are. So God gave himself in the flesh to die on our behalf. And because he died on the cross and he shed his blood, willingly, if we believe Jesus is real, if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the son of God, son of man who came and his flesh was broken, his heart was broken. And he took all the sins of the world upon his body. We believe that. We confess that with our mouth. We will be saved. It's as simple as that. But once you believe and you confess, okay, God is, God is real, Jesus is real, now what? There's this thing called surrender. And that's what a lot of us leave out. You surrender your life to Christ. Stop living for me and start living for him. Let Christ be your Lord. And every day, God, what would you have of me? That's when you grow as a Christian. You believe more and more. It's a relationship thing. And you have a relationship with Christ that builds everything uh, on everything you do. So today, I, I encourage you, don't simply go through life wondering and struggling with reality. Maybe I'm saved. Maybe I'm not. I don't know my next step in my life. I'll just see what happens. Instead, know without a shadow of doubt that you believe, you love, and you are his chosen people. No one's ever too broken. There is no segregation from God's love. God loves every Jew, but he loves us Gentiles. And that's the goodness of God's love. So today, we serve an amazing father. And we're going to sing that today. So if you would stand with me. And let's, sing, let's all sing together. And let's sing Good, Good Father. And I would love today, uh, that while we sing this song, that where you are, if you need prayer, you pray, you lift him up. But we don't leave here broken. That our wounds and our broken heart can be filled by the love of Jesus Christ. Let's sing Good Father.